Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Kurita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. Again, we are very happy to be together today and please stay with us for this hour as we are searching a bit more in the Bible, learning about God's mission to us. This is part two, but I would like to say hello to our panel today and it's good to have with us Denise. Thank you for joining us. It's lovely to be back at the panel. Thank you, Nick. It's good to have with us Jerry. Thank you for joining. Great to be here, Nick. Thank you. Hi, Joe. Thank you for coming along. Always a pleasure, Nick. Thank you. Will, it's good to have you with us, too. Thank you, Nick. Hey, Lija, thank you for joining us. Yes, thank you. It's very good to study the Word of God. Brenton. Thank you for being part of this discussion. Nick, we're going to study about the greatest gift God ever gave in our study today. I'm excited. And Len, thank you for joining us too. It's good to have you with us. In particular, thank you for preparing this uh, Bible study. You are going to facilitate this discussion and welcome to the program. Thank you for the welcome, Nick. And hello, listeners. Well, uh, we know further comments. I would like to just uh, step into this uh, uh, very interesting and uh, wonderful study. As Brenton mentioned, Len, would you like to take us through, please? I'd be delighted. Listeners, last week we studied about what happened soon after creation when man sinned and as a result was separated from God, who delights in interaction With mankind. God was not happy to leave mankind wallowing in the mess of his own making. So, with a rescue plan already formulated, he chose to rescue mankind from its fallen state. It was God's rescue mission to save that which was lost. God has made solemn promises to those of humankind who respond to his mission of love. These will be given eternal life and live in his presence forevermore. This week, we'll look at the focus of God's plan to save lost human beings. It's about who is involved and who else might be involved. This study is about the centre point of Christianity. Stay with us as we unfold this beautiful story. Joe, would you like to begin this study today by inviting the Lord's presence? Thank you. Certainly. Heavenly Father, please be present with our discussion today. Bless us with your Holy Spirit. Let the verses we read come alive in our hearts and minds with new meaning and inspire our thoughts and desires. Pray also that you would be with those who might be listening in. Pray that you bless their day with new hope and optimism, but lead us all closer to you, for you are the source of all goodness, hope and truth. Thank you that you love us so much that no cost was too great to sacrifice. Please help us to choose you over anything else and walk with you each day. Help us to trust you and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Joe, for that lovely prayer. Now, we're going to start with a fairly easy question, and I'm going to address this to you, Lydia. 
apart from the prophets of old who received the spoken word of God, had God fully revealed himself? Uh, not really, Len. Uh, at different times, at different stages of life of human beings, God had only his appointed chosen people to discover his mysteries with them in order for them to share with others. Okay. So there was something yet that God needed to demonstrate to fallen mankind. Well, Brenton, at the right time in the world's history, an event took place where God chose to manifest himself, enabling us to understand his nature and purpose and to provide the opportunity to have a real and lasting relationship with him. What was that event? That event was the birth of Jesus Christ. And uh, Paul refers to it in Galatians 4, 4, Len, by saying, In the fullness of time God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now, backtracking to when Christ first did appear, because Paul's speaking about this event sometime after, in chapter 1 of Matthew, we, it's, we're told now the birth of Jesus was as follows. His mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, Before they came together, she was found with child by the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son and you will call his name Jesus. The Old Testament referred to this land in Isaiah 9-6. We are told about Emmanuel, God with us. But here's something interesting just to think about as we get underway with our study. Even though the Jews, by and large, were not ready for Christ's return, here is God sending the greatest gift he could ever give in his son, and the bulk of them were not ready. There was someone who was ready. Revelation 12 tells us that Satan, or the dragon, was ready to devour the child as soon as it was born. Satan had studied the scriptures, and he understood uh, the fullness of time as well. So I think um, what we can take out of this is that God's timetable knows no haste and no delay. Everything comes at the fullness of time, and if we are spiritually tuned in, we can be part of understanding God's great plan for for this world and our future. Yes, well, that was a very good expose of this demonstration of God being with his people. The name given Emmanuel. to mm. Emmanuel means God with us. With us. People, yeah. of course, think that Jesus was a babe born in Bethlehem, but this was the first time he ever appeared in history. Well, what does the Bible have to say about Christ's pre-existence prior to when he was born in Bethlehem, Jerry? Uh, Len, there's a number of of verses in Scripture that uh, talk about that, and uh, I'd like to just quickly read from the Gospel of John, the first uh, three verses. It says there, In the beginning was the Word, 
and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. So in the beginning means obviously before Bethlehem. In the beginning, he was with God. If we now go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, it says there, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And finally, if I go to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says there, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. There are many verses in Scripture that talk about Christ's pre-existence, uh, and these are some of the most um, well-known ones, if you like, Len, that before he was incarnated into the human family, he pre-existed from the beginning with the Father. Yes, and if we, uh, if you read the Gospels, Jesus, in speaking to his audience, said, before Abraham was, I am. I am. Yeah. Okay, well, Jesus was with God the Father before Jesus came to this world to be born as a man, to live as a man, but to die on our behalf. Now, well, all the agencies of heaven were involved in the mission of rescuing the lost, still are, of course. How do we know that all three agencies of the Godhead were involved? Then one text that we all know so well is John 3, verse 16. Notice how many people are involved here, or how many beings are involved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So we identify two here, God giving his Son. But there's a third one involved, and I'd like to read um, John 14, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the investment of heaven uh, includes all three beings, all three persons of the Godhead, Len. Yes. But the mission of saving the lost did not stop there. Who else is involved? Well, that's each one of us, Len, I believe. We are all to be involved in uh, God's mission. We are the disciples of Jesus. That's interesting when you look at this word, disciple. I mean, it comes from uh, from a Latin. It's supposed to be disciples which means a student, learner, or follower of one of the earliest. We may have a erroneated view when we talk about discipleship. To be a disciple is to be someone who's watching his master. 
and who's following in the footsteps of his master. It can be translated also as a student, a learner, maybe even more with more clarity, at least in my language, it's like an apprentice, which uh, you watch what your master does. And not always the master will uh, teach you everything, you know, but you need to understand by watching the master, looking at what he's doing, and then accumulate that knowledge. That's why discipleship is not just a program, something which we, you know, in the churches, we can run uh, programs of discipleship and stuff like that. It's a very personal experience with Jesus. I mean, the New Testament uses this word disciple to indicate a relationship and a total commitment to Christ that comes as a result of learning and internalizing his teaching, being changed by continual growth in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, living a life of total submission to his lordship through the power of the Holy Spirit and helping others begin to experience trust and follow Jesus. From this perspective, discipleship is not to be understood, as I said, just as a church program, because it is not an event in time. Discipleship is rather a lifelong process of growing in Christ that transforms believers. Yes, thanks, Nick. Yes, Brenton. There's something else I'd like to add uh, to what Nick has said. Um, we, I think we understand the term disciple, um, what a disciple is, Len, but I'm going to John 15, and it says, Greater love has this, as no man than this, that one lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. Discipleship is just not about cognitive knowledge. It's about having a relationship with Jesus, and we can alternatively call one another Christ's friends because he called us his friends. Yes, they're known as the 12 disciples, but he is now actually giving them another appellation, if you will, where he's actually saying, there was a time when you didn't know everything about me, but now I'm going to reveal everything to you. What an exciting opportunity today. When we call people to discipleship, we also call them to being true friends of Jesus Christ. Yes. Yes, Will. I like what Nick said with regard to uh, us being apprentices of Jesus and also what Brenton has said uh, with regard to us being his friends made me think of watching the hand of your master. And Psalm 123 has a beautiful picture. It says, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God. Beautiful. Uh, the way we learn is by watching and assimilating what uh, Jesus has for us. Yes, well, all these are, are very good descriptions 
of who a disciple is. I've heard Nick use the statement many times, uh, walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Suppose a very basic uh, terminology for a disciple is one who walks in the footsteps of the master, which implies following and doing as the master does. Question, are you a disciple? Are you a disciple, Jerry? I am. Yes, I embrace Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and uh, I know as, as best as I can what his plan is for my life. And, um, yeah, I happily follow in his footsteps. I reach out to put my hand in his every day. That's wonderful. Are you a disciple, Denise? Yes, Len. Um, according to the definition, I'm a student, a learner, a follower, and I like what Jerry said there, putting my hand in the hand of the master every day and asking him to guide. Yeah. Lovely. Are you a disciple, Joe? Yes, I try to be. <laughs> I think we all um, we are disciples, um, but sometimes, unfortunately, we may slip our hand out of the master's hand and then we, of course, pay the consequences. But, yes, each day is dedicated to following the master um, as closely as possible. Thank you. Are you a disciple, Brenton? Yes, Len, I, I appreciate the um, the learning process, but I come back to what I read in Scripture. I'd like to think also that I'm a friend of God. Yes, there are times when I have failed him many, many times. But you know what? That uh, the grasp on your hand doesn't loosen unless you take your hand away. So even at the times when things are not going well, you've still got a few fingers in his hand. And then yes. you can grip his hand again safely. And I'm glad that he he doesn't bear with me. He 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 wants me to reach a level of discipleship that will enable me to be an absolute blessing to other people. And I find this this whole concept quite exciting, actually. Thank you. Will, are you a disciple? Yes, I want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. In fact, I want to walk in his big shoes. Amen. Lydia, are you a disciple? Yes, Len, I am a disciple. I am in the process of molding that I am the clay and Jesus is the potter. Yes, lovely. I love these descriptions. Uh, we won't leave you out, Nick. Are you a disciple, Nick? Walking in the footsteps of Jesus? Well, Len, uh, the best I understand what to be a disciple is if we are involved in making disciples. Because I believe that's the most important thing. It's not just to think, okay, yes, I learn a trade or I learn a, a thing from the master. We need to pass it on. And we need to make disciples. And that's what we are doing, what we are doing, even broadcasting here. We hope that many people will be the disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, now, yes. Uh, Joe... In view of the fact that we are disciples, what specific mandate or commission was given to the disciples of Christ? Okay, well, I'll read Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey, to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, th this is a very clear mandate, go and make disciples of all nations. 
Jesus's work, as we know, was primarily to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But now Jesus's disciples were to go worldwide, all nations, global. No one is excluded. These disciples were baptizing other disciples who go on to baptize still other disciples. And um, these are and were baptized in the name or literally into the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, which signifies an allegiance, a deliberate choice. Now, just a little detour here, Len and panel. Infant baptism. Babies can't give allegiance, can't go out and baptize other disciples, can't teach others, call others to obedience. Jesus wasn't talking here or sanctioning infant baptism, but adults choosing to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior and accepting the gospel commission themselves. A disciple didn't just mean someone who heard and agreed with Jesus. It meant someone who acted on that belief. And when the world saw the faith and actions of these new believers, they declared they had turned the world upside down. And so it's an action, there's an active component there, and there's a clear mandate for disciples to go out and create other disciples or make other disciples, yeah, preach the word. It reminds me very much of the story recorded in the New Testament about when Jesus healed the madman of Gadara and being grateful for his healing and being... uh, freed from the evil spirits. He wanted to go with Jesus and the other disciples, but Jesus said, no, go and tell what things have been done for you. And he did. He had perhaps the most limited knowledge about salvation through grace, but he went and told people later on when uh, that area was revisited Many, many people gave their lives to the Lord and accepted Jesus as their saviour. Just um, the verse before what Joe read is important because Jesus says there that all authority or all power has been given unto him in heaven and in earth. So therefore, as his disciples, as we go and make more disciples, we can be completely assured that our mission will be successful because he has all power. Well, that very nicely leads into the next point uh, we were going to give consideration to. The mission of making disciples is God's mission. We've just got part of it. What reassurance do we have about this grand mission, Denise? Well, the reassurance is found in Matthew 28, verse part of verse 20, where it says, I will be with you, um, I will be with you always, um, even to the end of the world. So God promises to go with us, to lead us to people that need to hear uh, the gospel. He, I guess we could say that the listeners who are listening today, that the Holy Spirit has led them to um, our program, to want to hear the gospel message. He gives us the words to speak as well. So The mission entirely is God's mission. We are the vessels that he uses to help spread the missions, to help spread the the good news of the gospel of salvation. Yes. Now, with reference to the gospel, 
In Revelation chapter 14, 6, there are two words which go together, which describes the message that goes to the world. What's What are those two words, Lydia, and can you extrapolate a little? Yes, Len, the, those two words are eternal gospel. As we read in the in the three angels' messages presented by the first angel in Revelation 14.6, it says, Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Here we find, it's the first place in scripture as we find this word eternal and gospel that are connected. Uh, the gospel is the good news of grace offered to all through Jesus Christ. Jesus came into the world to show us grace and truth. He lived a sinless life and died on the cross as a substitutionary sacrifice to bear the penalty of our sins. He rose to life, returned to heaven, was exalted by the Father, and today intercedes for us in the heavenly sanctuary and soon he will fulfill his greatest promise to return in majesty and glory and ultimately after the millennium to establish God's kingdom on earth. So these all are the essential realities of the eternal gospel. Okay, now eternal means past, present and future. Yes. So the gospel was already in place in the past, and it's in place now, and it's in place in the future. Now, Jerry, when Jesus came to um, bring the gospel, well, he, in a certain way, was the gospel, there were two things. Now, Lydia mentioned these two things. I wonder if you can just repeat them, because I believe this is very important. It was God was going to reveal two things in particular. What are they? Yes, Lynn, they are found in the first chapter of John, verse 14, and I'd like to read that. It says there, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, and here it comes, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. Now, grace is generally defined or described as the undeserved favor and love of God, something that you can't earn because it's a gift. But it reconnects us uh, with God. And um, it also it just amends the broken relationship that, uh, that, that there is between us and God. And without that grace, it's still broken if you don't accept it. Now, an essential part of God's character is also grace. We read in Exodus 34, verse 6, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. So the next part of the answer is truth. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 32, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we remember in John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, then, in this world, there is no end of philosophies and ideologies and religious beliefs that people embrace. 
But when you recognize the truth as it is in Jesus, then all these things just evaporate like like a like a rising mist, yes. and the truth and the truth sets you free, and it is so liberating. It really is liberating. Then you experience for yourself what Jesus said when he said, "And the truth shall make you free." It's it's uh, liberating. Yes, you know, I've, I imagine many people are actually a little bit scared to present to non-believers about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The truth is that Jesus Christ was God who came to this earth to free people from sin. And I think we need to be very uh, aware of the fact that we bear as disciples of Christ truth, the truth about what happened in uh, this world how sin came into the world and how to uh, escape from the clutches of Satan and sin. Well, Brenton, Jesus lived a sinless life. Yes. And died as a substitutionary sacrifice to bear the, the penalty of whose sins? He bore the penalty of each person on the panel and he bore the penalty of the sins of the whole world from the time of Adam onwards. And there's two verses, Len, in Isaiah 53, which are interesting. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Notice the number of times the word our is used in those two verses. One of my favourite um, portions of Handel's Messiah is this particular piece. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. I'm sure Will and some of the other members of the panel would remember. It's one of my very, very favourite pieces. But what it tells you is this. The penalty of sin was so great uh, in carrying that. Um, let's use an example that we're familiar with. Most of us perhaps have had, unfortunately, an experience where someone in the family has blackened the family name. Sometimes we call them a black sheep in the family, and they bring disgrace upon the family name by their behaviour and their actions and things like that. Um, I've had that experience personally. But um, here we we find, can you imagine Christ taking upon himself the sins of all the black sheep? Because all of us are black sheep. And this is why I believe, Len, he cried out on Calvary, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt that God's Wrath against sin was so strong that even his relationship, which had been there for eternity, was in danger of fracturing. In fact, he believed it had fractured. So I think as we share with others, our responsibility is not to convict them there that they are sinners. I think our responsibility, as you said, Len, when we share with others is to plead for the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that will convict them that they are sinners, and then we can show them what the remedy is, Jesus Christ. Yes. Now I'd like to add one little qualification. 
Sure. <laughs> and it says he bears our sins. In other words, he takes on the sins of those who are repentant. But will yes. Jesus bear the sins of those who are unrepentant? I think, Len, that accountability is central to the acceptance or rejection of salvation for every soul on earth. Interestingly, the prophet Ezekiel spelled it out to his people, Israel, and he says in Ezekiel 18.20, the person who sins will die. A son will not be punished for his father's sins, and a father will not be punished for his son's sins. The righteousness of the righteous person will be his own, and the wickedness of the wicked person will be his own. And in John 8 verse 24, it says, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will, will die in your sins. And lastly, in John 1 verses 11 and 12, it says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Then may I say that Seventh-day Adventists have uh, a close um, study on the uh, on the scapegoat or Azazel as being a type of Satan. That's part of the, the Day of Atonement uh, procedure. And we know that when the work of atonement in the heavenly sanctuary is com- being completed, then in the presence of God and heavenly angels and the host of the redeemed, the sins of God's people will be placed upon Satan. He will be declared guilty of all the evil which he has caused them to commit. And so who bears the sins ultimately of the evil one, the evil person or the unrepentant and, of course, Satan who is behind it all. Jesus does not bear the sins of the unrepentant. Okay, well, that's a clear statement. You want to add something here, Nick? I just wanted to say that, uh, yeah, this is a very interesting thought because um, lots of people will be maybe sidetracked just by the declaration that uh, Jesus bear the sins of the whole world and leave it there, you know, I mean, but we need to understand this in the context as, as was explained and we'll put it so well, because if we look just at that, that Jesus bear the sins of the whole world, I mean, he must have bear the sins of Satan too, because Satan sinned too, but that was not the case because Satan never repented. And I think this is a very important point. When we considering this, Jesus died for each one of us who are willing to accept him. Yes. I think it's important, uh, Len, to recognize that, as Will said, Satan has the sins of God's people that have been repented of placed upon him. This is not substitutionary atonement. Satan is not atoning for their sins. He is receiving the punishment for their sins because he is the originator of sins. Christ has taken our place. He has borne our sins. 
and those sins are transferred to the originator of evil. There is no aspect of atonement or substitutionary atonement in Satan's being destroyed. Well said. Jerry, did you have something to add? Yes, just quickly, Len. Um, we can't accept Jesus' offer of salvation one day and then continue to live the old way of life. You can't live like the devil for the rest of your life. In other words, you can't think that you're saved one day and that you're always going to be saved simply because of that one act, one decision you make to accept Jesus as your saviour. You have to stay in that saved relationship. Very important, I think. Yes, very much so. After dying on behalf of the repentant, Jesus rose to life, returned to heaven, was exalted by the Father, and today, what's he doing? Well, Len, I'd like to answer that one. In Revelation one eighteen, and I'm reading from the clear word, a paraphrase, it says, I was dead, but I'm alive and I will never die again. All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. I alone have the keys to death and the grave. So Jesus alone can give us eternal life. Uh, in Hebrews 7.25, it says this, Therefore he is able to fully save all who come to God through him. He will never die, but will continue to intercede for us as our high priest until God's plan of salvation is complete. So what Jesus is doing in heaven at the moment is he's representing us, he's interceding for us, he's forgiving our sins, he's presenting us to God as perfect. Thank you. Very concisely said. And as we were talking before about the unrepentant, well, he can't intercede for them because they don't want to be interceded for. Let's move on. Jesus will soon fulfill his greatest promise to return in majesty and glory and ultimately gather his people together and take them back with him to whom and where. Joe? Well, it would appear that Jesus spoke the words of John 14, 1 to 3, at the Last Supper, or at least very close to the end of his ministry. And he must have looked at their worried faces and understood their concerns and reassured them earnestly by saying, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Jesus is talking about his second coming here, when the saved are taken to heaven, his father's house. He knew what was about to happen and how it would change their lives forever. So he speaks comforting words, words which would remain with them, offering comfort. There's also an intimacy there. In my father's house, we will live together. We will be in our father's house as his children. Imagine clinging to that thought while on the Isle of Patmos or or jail or, you know, facing the animal, the wild animals in the arenas. Or even today, it offers comfort and reassurance for whatever we might be going through. Yes. Now, Jesus' promise was to come and receive his people to himself. 
and to take them back to his father's house. However, the Bible goes on to say that ultimately something else will happen. Nick? Well, uh, Len, that's uh, one of the most beautiful uh, things which uh, we're looking uh, forward to. To see the new earth, to see the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. Let me just read a couple of verses from Revelation. Because it's very interesting that many people in Christians, they have a misunderstanding of this. Uh, many of them saying that uh, Jesus is already here, his kingdom is already among us. And in some regards, yes, because <laughs> we're living in God's kingdom now, but it's not about that glorious event. Some of them will say that it will be a thousand years on this earth uh, while things are still going on and uh, some people may still have a chance to to know more about God and repent, all those things. But let me read what says in Revelation 21. I'm reading from a New Living Translation, and it says here from verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, not sorrow or crying, or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, means to John, the revelator, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. What a beautiful message here delivered to John, the revelator to let us all know that God has a mission for us all. That's the study we are looking into here, Len and Panel. God's mission for us, and he put at work everything, as we just mentioned already, all the heaven is engaged in this mission for me and you, my dear friend listening today. I wonder if you would like to have a book today which is called True Revival because we cannot be part of that kingdom just in any state. We need to be really prepared for that. That wonderful book, True Revival, it's yours, my dear friend, today. If you send us a text message to the number 048209, Triple eight three. You just need to send the code SABS2. SA stands for South Australia. BS for Bible study. Just add number two there. Don't uh, put any space in between these um, letters and number. 
and our friendly robot will take you through. Please ask for this wonderful book, True Revival, and you'll be really blessed. All right, from that um, section you read from Revelation 21, the verse that really attracts me says, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. He will live with them. Just fancy that, having God in our presence all the time. Joe, throughout the ages of history, God has had his people who represented him, a people who had a special mission, including in their day-to-day living. What was that mission? The mission, in short, was to demonstrate what God is truly like and to attract other people or nations to the Lord. And if I might read Deuteronomy 28.10, it says, Then all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by my name, rather, by the name of the Lord, and they will fear you. God could have, he could have used angels to be a witness to the world, but has chosen us to be his means of reaching the world. And that, you know, that we would have a part in this mission. And um, it is to represent him, to live out a life that is a credit to him in whatever situation we might find ourselves in. And if we lived our lives right, others would see evidence of a faith and our actions would point them to God. It is a life of obedience to him and setting our own stubborn ways aside, turning away from selfishness. And this is all done under God's God's enabling and it's a life where god is central now jesus once quoted from deuteronomy 8 3 where he quotes that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of the lord now it's not just talking about the physical needs but our spiritual needs god is not only meeting our physical but more importantly spiritual needs life is only a blip on this planet but there's an eternity at stake and um this is i think the most the more important thing to focus on Yes. So God has had his people to demonstrate what he is like throughout the ages. What is the Lord like, Ledger? The Lord describes himself to Moses when he gave it to him, the Ten Commandments stones the second time. I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 34, verse 5 and 6. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. So these are... Uh, this is God. This is very loving and compassionate God. It's, it's a different picture than what many people try to paint God as. Brenton, there is a little difference in the mission. Uh, we read about what happened in Old Testament times to New Testament times. What's the difference? In the Old Testament times, Len, God's plan was that Israel would represent him before the nations of the earth. In other words, they would come to Israel to see um, what God had done for them spiritually, 
materially and prosperity-wise. You can find that in Deuteronomy 28, and Joe just touched on it a bit. In the New Testament, it's a little different. Christ has come, he has died, he has risen again, and now he's giving the gospel commission, not in Matthew 28, he's restating it in Acts 1.8, where he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the utmost parts of the earth. One is to come to Israel to find out, that's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, as Christ has already given himself as the great sacrifice, that message is, as I think we said earlier, to go globally. And we are part of that message that is going globally. Yes, the word is go. Yes. Very, very briefly, Jerry, what is God's mission and our mission? In Luke 19, verse 10, we read, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus said in John 17, verse 3, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Our mission is to make him known. Yes. Denise. Yes, there's a statement by um, Ellen White that says, talks about the mission of the church. The mission of the church of Christ is to save perishing sinners. It is to make known the love of God to people and to win them to Christ by the power of that love. Amen. Now tell me, a very quick answers, if you please. Of what use is a church without a mission? None at all. Thank you. It's a it's a club, Lynn. It becomes a club. It's no better than a club, is it? A church needs a mission. Well, Christ's last words to his followers before he rose up back to heaven were what? Acts 1 verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will receive power. You will be my witnesses. And you will go to the end of the earth. Yes. Well, it depends where you are, where the end of the earth is. Some people say Australia's the end of the earth. Some people say Kiribati Islands in the middle of the Pacific is. Some people might say uh, Iceland. If Australia is part of the ends of the earth, where's our mission there, Nick? Well, Len, I believe uh, we already said uh, quite a few things about where our mission is. I will say, you know, the Bible says not to be troubled, not to be worried that you cannot go over the seas, over the lands, start in your uh, household, in your neighborhood. And um, for us all here, Australia, I think it's a very pretty good place to start. When I arrived in Australia, I asked big questions to God because I could not speak a word in English. And I thought, why I'm here, Lord? Uh, uh, what do you want me to do here in Australia? Uh, because I always, my mind, my heart was uh, back home, you know, in Romania, where I can talk to people. But uh, God had a different plan. And I'm glad that I um, I didn't discourage, you know, and I was just waiting for the Lord to 
uh, to fulfill his mission with me too. And yeah. I'm, uh, I thank God for, um, his, uh, mercies and his wonderful love towards us that we are involved in his plan of salvation. Yes. And we're glad you're involved in mission too. And we're glad to support you. Well, now in Revelation chapter seven, we get a glimpse of the result of God's global mission to reach all peoples. Joe, what's the result? Well, it's a breathtaking scene where all sin and pain has been vanquished and only peace and harmony resonate throughout the universe. And this is what Revelation 7, 9 and 10 say. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice saying, those beautiful words, salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Isn't that beautiful? Praise God. Yes. There will be many. We have uh, many people who will be saved. Uh, and this picture in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10 tells us that. Dear friends, if you're already a Christian, you have a part to play in saving the lost. If you're only getting to know Jesus, you may be a great influence in leading your friends and relatives to Christ and taking part in God's mission to save the lost. Christianity is not only about enjoying the benefits of salvation, it also includes sharing those benefits. And we as a panel anticipate being part of that vast multitude standing in front of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, in heaven, praising him for salvation. It will be an even greater pleasure to have people we have influenced yes. and worked for to become part of the family of God there, also standing in front of that, in that vast throng, praising him, the Lamb, with us. I hope you're going to join us. Denise, would you like to close this Bible study with prayer today, please? Surely. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises that it contains. We thank you for this study today and the comments made by the panel. Um, we want to thank you for your great love towards us. We want to thank you for Jesus' high priestly ministry, um, that you present us to God as perfect when we ask for forgiveness of sins and when we come to you each day to ask you to guide us and for the power to overcome sin. Yes. So we'd also like to pray for our listeners too, that they will embark on this journey with us and um, that each day they will offer their lives to you and ask you to guide them. So we leave ourselves in your care now, thanking Jesus for his uh, immeasurable love and for the salvation that he so freely offers each one of us. Amen. 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 Well, thank you everyone for your participation uh, today. Indeed, we uh, got a, a glimpse a bit more 
of uh, what God has in uh, store, in plan for us all. We are talking about uh, God's mission to us all. My dear friend listening today, I'm encouraging you to request the free offer which we have for you today. It's a book called True Revival. A revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. Perhaps you've been praying to experience the power of the Holy Spirit and the later rain. Get ready. Have your prayers answered because Jesus is coming soon. I mean, this volume of uh, collections of Ellen uh, G. White, most important writings on revival. I would love you to have this book in your hands. Please send us a text message with the code SABS2. And the phone number, it's 0482098383. May God richly bless you and join us again next time as we are exploring a bit further about God's mission and our mission too. May God richly bless you and continue to walk in the footsteps of Jesus.